Welcome to the latest edition of the Carmichael Governance Podcast. I'm Dermot O'Carbui, CEO of Carmichael. Carmichael is a charity that provides supports to other Irish charities, particularly in the area of governance. You can find details of what we do and a wide range of free resources on our website. That's carmichaelireland.ie. You can also find previous editions of our governance podcast on our website or on your favourite podcast platform, be that SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, Acast. The COVID-19 pandemic has truly turned our worlds upside down. And what we normally did from day to day and week to week has been disrupted or even stopped. Our charities, like so many other organisations, are facing a range of challenges, particularly in trying to continue to provide their much-needed services to those that depend on them. In our second podcast, which is a change from our usual format, I will be talking to three other small charities about their work and how they are coping with the challenges caused by COVID-19. My first guest today is Margaret Rogers of Heart Children Ireland. Heart Children is the support group in Ireland for parents and families of children who are born with or who acquire congenital heart disease. And congenital heart disease is the most common of all birth defects, affecting one in every hundred people born. And Heart Children Ireland celebrates 30 years this year. We certainly didn't anticipate celebrating it like this, but we are where we are. So I suppose, Dermot, we offer support in many ways and on many levels. We offer support through our Family Psychology Support Service, which is our busiest and most sought-after service. We would have supported and continue to support the Children's Heart Centre at Our Ladies Children's Hospital in Crumlin. And we're now also supporting the Adult Congenital Unit at the Matter Hospital. This is where our young guys and girls transfer to once they reach 16 or 17. And I think it's very interesting to say that since our foundation, we've raised over 2.5 million euro for the Children's Heart Centre at Our Ladies Children's Hospital. It's now CHI at Crumlin. And we would have bought the very first ECMO machine in Ireland for that unit. And that's saving lives on a daily basis. We would have funded the very first clinical nurse specialist in the Children's Heart Centre and other staffing positions as well. And it was really interesting when our guys and girls, thankfully, with the advancement in surgery, they're reaching adulthood and living lives like everybody else, getting themselves out there. And they transfer to the adult congenital unit. And we started there the very same way we started in Our Ladies Children's Hospital, funding the very first clinical nurse specialist there. We support our families on the transplant journey with their child. We would pay for flights to allow families to go over to Great Ormond Street or Freeman and we would support them continually while they're here. We would help our families who are long stay in hospital. So I suppose that's kind of a flavour of what we do. There are other support mechanisms we offer as well and I suppose what we do is we kind of we respond to the needs of our members and try and put the services in place we fund the Coagicheck programme at the Adult Congenital Unit in the Matter Hospital. And that allows our young guys and girls to take control of their own lives. We would fund a Coagicheck machine for them, which means that they can self-test at home and save them spending a day in hospital maybe once or twice a week. You are a nationwide organisation. You provide services and support all over Ireland. We do, Dermot, our Family Psychology Support Service. We travel nationwide with it and we have been to all 
26 counties on more than one occasion. Now, obviously, that's not happening at the minute. <laughs> it's curtailed at the moment. Yeah. Because that was leading me on to my next question, because you know, mm. our, our world have been turned upside down in, in the last 10 weeks or so with COVID-19. What has it meant for heart children, and particularly for the people that you support? What has been the implications of lockdown and social distancing and all, all that has come with that? Well, I suppose, Dermot, for a, a hands-on charity like Heart Children Ireland, the impact really has been huge and in particular Heart Children Ireland doesn't receive any government funding so we rely on the generosity of our members families, friends, the public corporate partners for our income so Heart Children Ireland's income has collapsed so it has left us in a very precarious position and the impact has been huge. I suppose we've had to curtail our family psychology support service and being a very hands-on charity and meeting our members as we do, we can no longer go to the Children's Heart Centre to hold our very famous coffee morning. So we can't interact with our families while they're in hospital. And we would bring up blankets for children. We would have beautiful cream cakes for the parents. And it's a, it's a chance just to get away from the hospital ward for a little while. So we can't do that anymore. And that's a huge impact. And I suppose as well for our members, for the children, adolescents or adults, all impacted in very different ways. I mean, I suppose for our adults, like how will I safely restart my employment? Because our adults, they have compromised immune systems, so have to be very careful. For our teenagers, what will college look like now? How will I safely navigate it? And I think teenagers as well, their existing plans for the summer, you know, what's going to happen about that? When I go back to school, can I go back to school? So the impact all round has been huge, Dermot. I would take it from that because these are the sort of things that are directly affected you don't think about or you're not aware of. I would take it that your phone is hopping with people looking for advice or guidance or support. Our phone what, what, is hopping, yes. And what other things have you been doing trying to keep the show on the road, you know, innovations that you have brought in, trying to keep those services and supports in place? So what we've done, Dermot, is we're operating our family psychology support service in a reduced way. So this service is now offered via telephone because we see this as such a vital service, particularly in the midst of COVID-19 pandemic. So we're, we've been able to do that. And I suppose that's something we kind of didn't think that we would do or that maybe would work on a long-term basis while we would have done some telephone sessions. So that has been a learning curve for us. Our helpline is still very much up and running and we are still there and we want to get that message out there. And I suppose our board now meets fortnightly because obviously they're very concerned about our position. So we're meeting fortnightly, which is a huge support. And I suppose that has been very different. And as I said, we can no longer visit the Children's Heart Centre. But what we've done instead, one of our members has designed this beautiful card and she's painted this lovely heart on it. It's like a little postcard. And on the back is written be kind to yourself on the back of it so we're going to send those up to the hospital instead to let everybody know that we're thinking about them and that we will be back really that i suppose is um that's that's what we're trying to do you know we're working more on online fundraising campaigns maybe putting a lot of energy into that because i think when you're 30 years and we're so proud of our volunteers and everything they've done to keep us going that we are doing everything in our power to make that happen dermot and I wish you the very, very best because it is a vital service. Just on the online, is there any, because everybody's scratching their heads and trying to think of stuff, is there anything that, that you've come up with that has worked for you or is it just a constant struggle? 
Well, I suppose what we've decided to do, because we are celebrating 30 years, we would have had a conference now, we're going to do that online. We're going to do like a Zoom webinar online. And we have been looking at other things as well. We would attend a lot of Europe-wide conferences. And we're going to link into them now on an online basis because in the world of congenital cardiology, it changes all the time. So we have to keep up to date with what's happening. So we're looking at, you know, maybe now linking in with conferences that we couldn't have afforded to go to. So, I mean, I think that in its itself is really, really good for us. What this pandemic has done, I think, is put into sharp focus how much the community and voluntary sector contributes to society. And I don't think it has ever been more evident than during this pandemic. And I really do feel going forward that the government must look at funding the sector in a much better way into the future so that Heart Children Ireland and all the other amazing charities can continue to offer these vital services across Ireland and I think that's so important that that message is listened to because what the community and voluntary sector is contributing to this awful disease and in the supports and fabulous supports it's offering is is truly incredible. Great and I take it you will continue offering the telephone as an option going forward even when we do get to have the face-to-face support you know it will help you to reach more people um, as well. Exactly and when you think about even though we have been to Donegal you know we've decided we're going to do that more online so that we can reach people from Donegal to Kerry to Galway right back across on a much more regular basis. And I think one of the things we've all learned is it is possible, it's not the same thing, but it is as something additional that can allow you to do mm. things on a nationwide way and an international basis that we wouldn't have thought possible. I think so, Dermot. Three yeah. months ago. Yeah, I, and, and you know, three months is not a long time, even though it feels like that, but it is amazing how we change and adapt. And yeah. I think certainly it's a huge learning curve for everybody. Well, Margaret, that's been absolutely fantastic. Thank you very much. And 30 years is a proud achievement. There are not too many organisations to get 30 (laughs) years. And I wish you every success. And I know the resilience of heart children, that you will come through this difficult time. And hopefully that it's not too long that you'll be able to get the income that you need for your services back on an even keel again. So thank you again, Margaret. And the very best. And thank you for having me. My next guest is Gary Brennan from the Prather-Zilly Syndrome Association. Father Willie Syndrome Association of Ireland was started by parents in the late 1980s as a support group for people with PWS or Prader Willie Syndrome and their families in Ireland. The condition Prader Willie Syndrome is, is a complex genetic disorder that typically causes low muscle tone, short stature, cognitive disabilities, and I suppose the main characteristic would be a chronic feeling of hunger that can lead to excessive eating and life-threatening obesity. Uh, the condition is caused by the absence of certain genes on, on chromosome 15. In terms of prevalence, they reckon the National Centre for Medical Genetics in Crumlin Hospital, they indicate that there's five to six new cases of Prader-Willi syndrome diagnosed each year. The association have around 120 to 25 members, but we would be aware of other people within the country who either have been genetically tested outside the country or who haven't brought themselves to, I suppose, to the attention of the association. The, the feeling of hunger really is caused by a, by a flaw in the hypothalamus. 
And in later infancy or early childhood, people with Prader-Willi syndrome develop this insatiable appetite. If it's left uncontrolled, it can lead to extreme obesity. And it's the main common genetic syndrome associated with life-threatening obesity. There's no currently no cure for Prader-Willi syndrome, but with support, people with Prader-Willi syndrome may expect to be valued and active members of society. They'll complete school, they'll achieve in their interests, be productive workers and even move away from the family home. They will, however, need a significant amount of support from their families, from school, from work and residential service providers to achieve these goals and to avoid obesity and some of the very serious health consequences that accompany it. The last five years, I suppose, has seen a major progress for the Prader-Willi Syndrome Association in terms of, in 2015, we had a number of conferences uh, for the families in the country where we invited speakers from all over the world to come and talk to them. Um, it was also the start of our survey, our national survey, a population-based profile on Prader-Willi Syndrome in Ireland. That was published in 2017, and from there that's led to what we're currently working on, and it's, it, it's a national report. Um, the national report will, will set out evidence-based recommendations for the development of high-quality, effective health and social care services that will meet the needs of people with Prader-Willi syndrome in this country. In 2019, there was also at the appointment of a development officer for Prader-Willi syndrome, um, and that was approved and fast-tracked by the chairperson of the national working group on the, the national report, and I am the, that development officer. You're the first so, paid employee of the organisation, are you? I am indeed, yeah, I'm the first paid employee of the association, and my role is funded by the HSE. And Gary, what does your role as development officer entail? The ideal is really to try and create a foundation from which the future of Prader-Willi syndrome, education, awareness, training programs, and most importantly, service provisions can develop. As a player in the organisation, I'm very much responsible for advocacy and support services, so to try and support our family members to access services. And last year, we developed a document, a pathway to services document, um, and that's a step-by-step document in how to access various residential respite mental health services and um, how to access or how to gain access to the HSE. From there then I can support families as a subject matter expert in meeting with the HSE with disability managers and case managers. They're also very much into to the awareness and training. It is a condition, as you mentioned at the start, Dammit, that not very many people are aware of. As I said, there's probably about 150 people in Ireland who've been diagnosed with Prader-Willi syndrome. So as a result, spread nationally then, a lot of schools, a lot of GPs wouldn't be aware or wouldn't have met someone with Prader-Willi syndrome. So we would very much be out there looking after awareness and training. We have several members of the association, myself included, Anne O'Neill, who is our family representative, who would regularly do sessions for families on subjects like behaviour management and food security. Uh, Jane Cox would look after a lot of the educational awareness and training with schools and colleges. And then I would look after service providers, training and awareness with service providers and, and some of the other allied health professionals. Other areas then that we're, we're very much involved in would be research. As I said, we had the population-based profile in 2017, um, and thanks to Professor Louise Gallagher from Trinity College Dublin and Professor Edna Roach from Tally University Hospital, who are very much involved in putting that together. And that then itself led to the, the national report that we're currently working on in collaboration with the HSE.
Professor Gallagher is also working on a current piece of research in terms of the impact of hyperphagia or the lack of satiety um, and social cognition on mental health behaviours. And then we were lucky enough to be chosen by uh, an undergraduate in Maynooth um, last year, Saoirse Kavanagh, who did a great piece of research, sibling research, on the impact of Prader-Willi syndrome on siblings. The other thing we've done then since 2015 is there's been a number of, of regional conferences in Ireland, but in Cuba in November we bid and we're fortunate enough to win the opportunity to host the IPSO Global Conference, which will be held in Limerick in 2022. And we're expecting between five and 600 delegates from all over the world to attend that. And it'll be a great opportunity for our people with Prader-Willi syndrome and their families to, to meet and talk to experts and other families from all over the world. Excellent. And how has COVID-19 impacted what you do or has it had an impact on the work that you do? Undoubtedly, there's been changes to how we provide support to our stakeholders, to our family members and to service providers or anybody, I suppose, that has any input into into the life of somebody with Prader-Willi syndrome. And we constantly are reviewing and re-evaluating how we provide that and improve on that support. I suppose the support we offer is very much built around developing and sustaining relationships with our members, with our people with PWS, service providers and other professionals. And up to now, most of that would have been completed face-to-face. In, in my opinion, I suppose I find it easier to sustain relationships on a face-to-face basis so a lot of the support the advocacy support services we would offer would be face-to-face meetings with disability managers Uh, we had some regional clinics set up for this year the first one was going to be in June in Munster where we would have had a number of families come in and very much discuss the needs and requirements that they would feel they have in that particular region so we can then focus appropriate services or appropriate supports to them we had a big family week I suppose the highlight of the PWS SAI years, our family weekend in October, where we would have 60 to 70 families spend a weekend in a hotel. And for a lot of the families, it's probably the only opportunity or maybe the only opportunity they have in the year to, to I suppose, socialise in a PWS setting. And I know there's been a lot of really real disappointment in terms of us having to postpone that. Also, our fundraising has changed. We had hoped to start our PWS 5K up again this year. Now we're still going to do it in terms of, of we will do it within in the guidelines but that would have been a social opportunity for for families to meet up and then I suppose the awareness and and training is probably the big thing we're still continuing with the training and awareness but doing it in an online setting Uh, yeah it's great it's great I find it easier from an awareness point of view because generally what you're doing is is you're just giving people information where I find it difficult is when we're trying to do any kind of bespoke training so the bespoke training would be generally we conduct it after doing the awareness training and a a service provider would come back to you and say okay these are the specific issues we're having so I find when you're doing that face to face it's a lot easier to read the room and react to possibly some of the unsaid issues that are coming up so to be able to read body language and that's difficult to do on Zoom or Microsoft Teams. It's having um, that rapport going as well. Yeah, it, it, it is very difficult. In terms of the organisation then, our board meetings, we've had our first Zoom board meeting last week and uh, went really well and I, I think that will probably continue where we might do one or two board meetings or impromptu board meetings online and then just continue to meet up face to face probably three or four times a year. Uh, other things then in terms of, you know, any of the work group meetings in terms of the report have had to be very much scaled back either doing them on Zoom or doing them on, on, on phone calls we would have meetings that could last up to four or five hours it's difficult to do online it's difficult to sit in front of a laptop and I think pay attention or to get a 
have active involvement for that amount of time. Yes, um, just in terms of, of the people with Prader-Willi syndrome, then in general, people with Prader-Willi syndrome wouldn't cope well with change, especially when that change is sudden and they haven't had a huge amount of time to prepare for it. I know some of the families are telling me that it's very difficult, that you know the kids are missing school, they're finding it very difficult to do the homeschooling. But then in saying that, some other people are, are telling me that PWS would be very much linked to having to have schedules, having to have consistency during the day. So for some people with Prader-Willi syndrome, they're finding it quite manageable in that it's very easy to, when everybody's on lockdown, it's very easy to categorise your day or to have schedules throughout the day. And then they're getting quite a lot of home time with parents as well. So there's a balance there. Some are doing really well and some are doing not so well. I think the very challenging time will be the transition back into what everybody calls new normal, whatever that may be, because I'm not sure what new normal is going to be. And I think it will be a very stressful time for, for people with PWS. US, especially if they're going back to something and they expect it to be a certain way, for instance, school or, or whatever, and it's changed, I think that will be incredibly different. Do you see things that you've had to do now in terms of ways of delivering services that you'd continue those into the future? Yeah, absolutely. I suppose the big question is, as I said, what will normal look like in the future? And, um, when, and when will it look start looking and like when, that? Yeah, no, nobody is saying how long this will last. Um, and, you know, what, what we find on the other side of it may not look like the normal we've experienced in the last few years. I think definitely the remote working and, and been able to utilise online meetings like Teams or Zooms. Zoom, I think I think what, what I've realised is that it'll allow increased access to the association in terms of most meetings we would have to organise in advance. We'd have to you know, book a hotel or we'd have to book rooms. With this, we could organise impromptu meetings with with an hour or two's notice. So, you know, if a family member or if a person with Prader-Willi syndrome or a board member or whatever needed to talk to me or needed to talk to, to another member of the association, that can be organised face-to-face pretty quickly um, when you're doing it, doing it on Zoom. We've also realised that socialising on Zoom can actually be pretty good fun. In terms of, as I mentioned about the family weekend, we're looking at how we can do that online through possibly Zoom discos or quizzes. So, you know, there is an opportunity to do that. And although I suppose as an association, we're not, you know, we're not overly reliant on fundraising. I think what the current crisis has opened my eyes to and a lot of other people is that, you know, there's some great creativity out there in terms of fundraising initiatives that you can still run a 5K. I mean, I've seen a guy who ran, online who ran a marathon in his front room. So, you know, you can still fundraise. I, I suppose at our level, it's easier. You can still fundraise on, on a small term basis. Okay, that's been fantastic talking to Gary and it's been great to learn a bit more about the Prather Villy Association and the great work that you do and wishing you every success and as you say, we're all looking to see what this new normal will look like and when but um, hopefully as we go through the different phases that we adapt. So thank you very much Gary, it's been great talking to you. Thank you Dermot. And my final guest today is Faye Dunn from Dyspraxia CCD Ireland. Dyspraxia or DCD is a coordination development disorder that affects movement, planning, processing, organisation and muscle muscle skills so like gross motor problems, fine motor problems so your muscles might be that bit weaker so you could struggle with things like holding a pen or pencil, riding a bike, using cutlery, it goes on and on, hopping, skipping, jumping and then it could go on into things like affecting the muscles in your mouth so you could have problems with your speech. Social skills are also a big side of it. And people who have a diagnosis obviously will all have different strengths and weaknesses, so it can affect everyone very differently. 
like a spectrum. So you may have some of the, 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 the conditions, but not all. So people will vary. Exactly. And the association itself, how long have you been going on and what do you do? So we have around 20 support groups in the country all over where parents or guardians can meet and discuss what's going on with their child with dyspraxia or a teenager. Then we also have groups for young adults, adults and teens as well where they meet and do different things. We also run a helpline and offer information, support, advice on education, getting assessments if people have just gotten a diagnosis, what the next steps are. So we're there to do all of that really and just help people make their life that easier if they've just been diagnosed or if they're having issues in work or school, college or wherever. And given a lot of your work has involved meetings and giving out information and sharing and answering queries, how has COVID-19 meant for the organisation? What sort of things has an impact has it had for you? It's funny, in a way it's been a positive I guess for different ways we've tried things out that have really worked that we never would have done before so that's the one positive of it. So for instance our support groups are now online and we're finding the attendance very good. People don't have to travel, people who don't have to get a babysitter in and they're the people who really want to be there as well which is great. So there's really good turnout on that. We also have a weekly webinar with Dr Sharon Drew from the University of Wales and she goes through different topics each Friday where our members log on. She does a talk for around 45 minutes and then they can ask questions and that's been really really good Um, and connecting with people from all over Ireland with children of all different ages and then adults as well so that's been really good and different and what you're saying the experience has been quite positive from your members yeah, definitely. And then we also, we run groups for children. I run one that we actually do in Carmichael Centre every Thursday. And we usually have 30 kids in and we've tried that online. And one went very well and one not so well. The younger kids one was quite hard just because they like jumping around and shouting and talking all the time. And they don't understand that then everyone can hear. But the older kids one went really well. And we're actually trialling one next week of teenagers and then slightly younger kids, kind of 9 to 12, from all over Ireland that maybe have never met another child with dyspraxia before. And so now hopefully they'll be able to connect with them through doing it online. You'd be very familiar when you have people in the room with you. What sort of different things have you been having to do? Because now it's with Zoom, because it's particularly you're introducing people that don't know each other, have never met. Is there things that you've had to do to try and break down those barriers? Yeah, some people are happy to talk away and have their camera on and everything and other people aren't and that's fine and then you find some people might come on the next week and they'll talk that bit more and I guess the people we do know trying to get them to lead the conversation a bit and share their stories and get conversations started and different ideas and I think a lot of the time it can you know it's a big deal for people to go to a support group they might be very nervous and worried about it where here they can go on and they don't have to have a camera on or they don't even have to speak they can just sit there and listen for the first one so in a way, I think it's actually making it easier and more accessible for people to just go and see what it's all about first. Would fundraising be an important part of what you need to do to keep the organisation yeah. going? Yeah, it's our 25-year birthday this year. So we're supposed to have a massive conference in Athlone in May or June. That had to be cancelled, obviously. And we've pushed that back to October. We're not sure if that'll happen. And we had really big speakers coming from all around the world because it is our anniversary. And then we had a two-day massive day for families in Barristown. That had to be cancelled. And I know a few groups were doing fundraisers to raise the money to go to Barristown. So they actually were doing a bake-off. They ended up doing it online. So people sent in pictures and voted. That was another way of doing things. Then the mini marathon would always be quite big for us. That's obviously cancelled. We actually had a meeting today just trying to come up with different ideas of things we can do online. So trying to wait for that genius 
an idea to come of different things we can do to get people to do fundraisers while they're still at home. It is difficult um, and there's so many groups that are impacted by this. You know, the fundraising is the thing that keeps the, the doors open in your organisation. So it is, it is a, a concern for you, for you. And also the disappointment of those big conferences, particularly when you're celebrating your 25th and I'd say all the planning and the excitement yeah. and getting that line up, it's difficult. So maybe hopefully October, although as you say, it's hard to know at this stage what travel will be allowed by then. But hopefully we will be getting back to some sort of normal. You were saying that COVID has forced you to be very creative and reach out and do things differently. I presume that this will now become the new normal for how you deliver services going forward. I think it'll have to, especially for people who are living in remote places or can't drive to a group support group or a meeting. We'll have to keep some type of this way of going about it. And we've actually just launched a project there, a trial project with the University of Limerick, who have final year occupational therapy students who have a tiny bit of their placement left that they need to do and they're just about to graduate. And they're taking on a trial of 16 children or teens, young adults with dyspraxia from our members and are doing two sessions a week for six weeks online with the children to do occupational therapy and it's the first time this has been done so it'll be very interesting to see the outcome of that did it work I think it will work kids won't have to leave school their parents won't have to take time off to bring them to their intervention I think it's in clear waiting this very quickly so it'll be interesting to see how that works everything is about when you're looking out for services to be able to get it when you need it exactly um, and how long will that pilot go for yeah, there's a six-week trial of it and then I think reviewing it and seeing if we're going to continue on because it is the great way to get, I guess, the final year students to finish their placement and then just to reach a big mix of ages and people from all around Ireland as well. So it'll be reviewed and see if we can keep going with it in the future. Excellent. Well, that's been fantastic and it's been great talking to you, Faye, and learning about this practice, but also about the innovative way you've been responding to the crisis and wishing you another good 25 years after this. So thank you very much, Faye. It's been great talking Stop. to you. Thank um, you. Bye. Thank you for listening to our latest Carmichael Governance podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, it would be of great benefit to us if you could give it a rating, as that helps to create greater awareness of these podcasts. So until the next time, Slán Gofol. Go